This morning, the scripture reading comes from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 13 through 22. And you can see it in the screen, or if you'd like to grab a Bible, there on the back table. Hear now God's word, Ruth 4, 13 through 22. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amadab. Amadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. And Obed Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again to everybody here, and for those tuning in online, uh, my name is Patrick Cherry, and I'm the pastor here at Christ the Word Church. And for those tuning in in video that aren't in North Carolina, you'll notice that I'm in short sleeves in February, and I know we have some people sometimes up north that watch or listen in. You too could be in short sleeves in February if you were in North Carolina. I believe... The high today is in the 70s. Again, I accentuate the point that it's in February. No snow on the ground, a beautiful day. But we're glad that everyone is here as we celebrate this Lord's Day and as we finish the series that we've been going through on this Old Testament book of Ruth, this very short book of only four chapters. And it's a book that Maybe you've read some if you grew up in church. Maybe you didn't. I mean, you can grow up in church and never really hear much about this book. And it's been a fascinating journey for me. Hopefully it has been for you as we've looked at Ruth, the outsider. A little bit of a reminder and summary of kind of where we've been. We, we started in chapter 1. And does anybody remember what we discussed in chapter 1 about the outsider? Here's your pop quiz. We talked about being the outsider, right? 
And we talked about the circumstances that landed Ruth and Naomi, that Naomi lost her husband in this foreign land when they had fled from Bethlehem, their homeland. And then because of his death and then the death of her sons who had married these Moabite women, she was left destitute with nothing. And we talked about how easy it is one decision away, each and every one of us are from being an outsider, being destitute. And then we went to chapter 2 and we learned about noticing the outsider. We saw the circumstances that landed Ruth, this Moabite woman, this outsider, as they came back to Bethlehem, that she landed in the field of Boaz, who was actually a relative of her deceased father-in-law and husband. That it just happened to be the field that she landed in. And we talked about God's providence in that, how God orchestrated it all, because out of that, him noticing the outsider, we learn in chapter 3 that he hears the outsider. And Rachel uh, spoke on that Sunday and and preached about hearing the outsider and, and Ruth going to Boaz seeking help. And then last week we t- t- touched on chapter four, the very at least the beginning, and it's the climax of the story, right? We see, we see Boaz initiating, fighting for the outsider and initiating helping Ruth. And we spoke last week about how it is the job of the insider to reach out to the outsider. The outsider is the one without the power. And we talked about what that meant for us as a church, that we are the ones that need to be reaching out to others, that we can't just expect people to come to us because as Christ followers, we are the insiders. It's our job to reach out to those who are not in the family and offer them the peace, the grace, the love of Jesus Christ. And we discussed a little bit last week about this idea of leveret marriage that falls into here, this, this cultural time that they were a tribal culture and that women not having a whole lot of power at this time really were dependent upon their husbands. And when a husband would die without leaving any heirs, or in the case of Naomi, that her heirs died, you were left with nothing. And so there was this idea of this kinsman redeemer that comes along this relative, oftentimes a brother of the deceased, who would take on the wife, father, children to carry on the family name and the inheritance. And this week, we're going to look at the last half of chapter 4. You may be thinking, well, you know, there's four chapters, Patrick. Why didn't you just do four weeks on this? Well, it's because I'm a pastor, and I can take anything and stretch it out. But (laughs) chapter 4 actually does have some really interesting stuff that we didn't get into last week that I think we have to highlight to understand the true power of the story of Ruth. But before we go any further, let's return to God in prayer and ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us. Holy God, we do thank you for this day, this opportunity we have to worship in your name and dig into your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would prepare our minds, that you would open our ears to hear your word, that you'd silence any voice in us but your own. And Lord, we realize as we gather and worship, we gather with brothers and sisters. So Lord, we pray for those sitting around us. Lord, Silence any voice in them but your own. Prepare them to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that as my words stray from yours, may they fall away and quickly be forgotten, but may your word, your truth, and your promise remain upon our hearts forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the saints said, amen. So today we finish our study on this book of Ruth and discover that the story doesn't just end with love and marriage, kind of where we left it last week. 
I mean, that makes for a great episode of a TV show, doesn't it? You know, you end with the wedding comes along, everybody's excited about that. But we learn in chapter 4 there's more to it, and there's more beauty to the story. So the best way to understand it, I think, is we actually going to back up to some of the verses we covered at the end of last week. So I'm going to back us up to verse 11, and, and then I suggest that we proceed forward in this way. We're going we're gonna to look at three different movements. So the first movement is this. We're going to talk about first love, then marriage, then... Then we're going to talk about unto us a child is born, and then unto us a child is given. And Keith asked me before the service when he saw my outline, he said, Patrick, are you just recycling a Christmas sermon? Maybe. No, not quite. So how, let's move on with first. First, love, then marriage. How does the old mocking schoolyard chant go? First comes love, what? That's marriage. Then comes Boaz with the baby carriage. And that's where we are in the story, aren't we? We find out that throughout the story, there's been ups and downs, haven't there? I mean, you follow through this book of Ruth, there's ups and downs with Ruth and Naomi, what's going to happen? And it's a captivating story. And and throughout, maybe like me, you find yourself rooting for the underdog. Because right from the beginning, you're rooting for Ruth. You're rooting for Naomi, aren't you? You're pulling for him. You want things to work out. And then we see Naomi desperate. She's a desperate but kind woman down on her luck. We see a glimmer of hope in her unlikely daughter-in-law, the wife of her now deceased son, who decides to leave behind everything she knew, her homeland, to proceed to a foreign land to accompany her mother-in-law and to stand with her. We see Ruth, this Moabite, this outsider, this unknown display incredible courage and character as she labors in the fields of Boaz to see to the care of her family and Naomi. And then we're delighted to witness the sacrificial love of Boaz as he comes to understand the situation and shows more kindness, more heart than we often see. This is the episode that everyone waits for now. If you've ever watched a show, a soap opera, or soap opera light, it's when the weddings come along that everybody gets excited, right? It's when you see that these unlikely couples that you've been rooting for all along, they were, you know, they hated each other at first. And then, you know, circumstances kept them apart, star-crossed lovers. And then they find a way to make it work. And then the wedding episode. Everybody tunes in for the wedding episode. And here we are at the wedding episode Here, they're finally getting married. Ruth and Boaz stand at the altar. And by this time, we might imagine that the inhabitants of Bethlehem have found their way to the city gate where everything happens. We learned about the power of the city gate last last week. And that's where all business happened, where the elders were to witness. And now everybody is gathered at the city gates to witness what is happening. Because Boaz is clearly an important man. We talked about him. He is a man with means. He is known. And yet, here he is, marrying this outsider, this Moabite woman. It captures attention, doesn't it? I mean, celebrity weddings still capture attention. I don't, you can't stand in the line at the grocery store without seeing who's marrying who, and they had a secret wedding here, but the paparazzi found out, and here are the exclusive photos. We love it. And then we have this royal wedding. We're not even English 
I mean, I thought we separated from that. But yet we're still interested in the English wedding that's going to happen as Prince Harry is going to marry an American. Ooh. Stop the press. People have gathered to see what's going to happen. And so we look at verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath or renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez. And I'm not talking about Perez Hilton. House of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Isn't it interesting the townspeople's response to this almost royal wedding of sorts? This outsider working their way in, and do they sound excited or, oh, yay? They're excited, aren't they? I mean, look at the the extent of their blessing that they're giving Ruth. And let's not miss the fact they're giving this blessing, blessing not to just Boaz, but to Ruth, this outsider. She was outside the covenant people. She was outside of those in Bethlehem. She was outside the family. In fact, she really still had no right being in the family after her husband died. And he is marrying her, and they are celebrating that and welcoming her with open arms. Where this is interesting is when we contrast it against the covenant people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Because we don't see them often as accepting of the outsider, do we? We don't see them taking seriously this command in Isaiah 49, 6. That says, you are to be a light to all the nations so that my salvation might reach to the ends of the earth. That sounds like an important command. You exist to be a light to everyone. That's an inclusive statement. God is clearly stating here what he desires for the world, that all would be reconciled through his covenant people. But Israel at this time has become too narrow-minded, too nationalistic. We see their attitude more like the prophet Jonah. Remember when we studied Jonah? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He hated the people there. Why would God care for them? And so he ran the other way instead of going to Nineveh, the people he hated to share the news God gave him. This is the attitude we really kind of see throughout Judges, throughout the Old Testament. It's widespread attitude of the day, but not here. Here we see a different picture as Ruth is welcomed in with excitement, a Gentile outsider being welcomed into the family. And this leads us to our first truth. Our first truth is this. God's love extends even to unlikely places. God's love extends even to unlikely places. Who would expect Boaz to marry a Moabite? Who would expect that? But he does. 
And as we've discussed in past weeks, Boaz in many ways displays the character of God. This love that doesn't just love what he has to, but loves an extravagance. Loves the outsider, even though we may care, could care less about the outsider. God's love extends. And again, this is interesting when we contrast it. But this time, we contrast it with the Christian church. We are often uncomfortably close to what's being said here. Both in our unwillingness to fulfill the Great Commission. What is the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do we take seriously that call? Because so often, we don't. We could care less. We're reluctant. We have excuses. Or we will welcome somebody into the family just as long as they can first understand our traditions and meet our unsaid prerequisites. I mean, we talked about that a few weeks back. That there's all these unknown rules so often coming into a group. And is that what we're called to be? But Ruth doesn't face this problem. Instead, we see the beauty of a situation where she is welcomed with open arms and given an extravagant blessing. So church, are we willing to stop hindering God's movement? So often, God, we don't see God acting because we're standing in the way of what God is trying to do through us. God is living and active. Are we standing in the way? Are our own prejudices or our own preconceived notions about different people groups and people? Are our own boundaries standing in the way of what God is trying to do through us as individuals and us as a church? Are we getting in the way of the good that God is doing? God's love, grace, Justice, hope, salvation, care, and concern is for everyone and extends to the unlikeliest of places. Are we willing to love like God? Paul does a masterful job of describing the power of God's love in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8.35, this is a great memory verse if you haven't had it memorized, but starting with Romans verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's a beautiful statement. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that beautiful? A love that transcends every sort of limitation, obstacle, or boundary that we might see to our love. God's love cannot be stopped. God's love goes to the darkest corners, to the most unlikely places. What seems unlikely to us is quite possible and never impossible to God. And so we move on 
Unto us a child is born. At the end of verse 13, we see that the result of this is not just a beautiful marriage. Marriage. That's what brings us here together today. I have to quote that anytime I hear marriage. I'm sorry. We hear about the birth of Obed. I mean, looking for great baby names, here's another one, Obed. And we had a whole list of them at the end there. I mean, name your kid Salmon. Why not? That's awesome. Ram. Oh, that's a good boy's name, Ram. But we meet Boaz, or Obed. And it's interesting, though, if you look at verse 14, the congratulations for the baby first go to Naomi, not to Ruth, the mother. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be your restorer of life and nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than you to seven, uh, than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Obed is important, for this child becomes the true kinsman redeemer. See this word kinsman redeemer and, and it means deliverer or helper. And so only through, as this commentator says, only through the child was the yoke of affliction laid on Naomi completely removed. The child is the fruition to what she thought she could never have. She lost her sons. She lost her chance to have any sort of heirs. And now, because of this redemption that happens, she's holding a grandchild. And like any grandmother, we have some grandmothers in the room, you know when you hold that grandchild, it is special. You look and you see the continuation of your family. You see so many of your hopes and dreams laid upon these future generations. And Naomi is holding her child We see the beauty of this reversal as we look in verse 16 when we find out that Naomi becomes the nurse of this child. And it's interesting that Obed, his name means servant. How would that factor in? I mean, I love the idea of naming a kid servant if they actually live into it. (laughs) Why? What's the meaning here? One commentator I read says, perhaps it's the idea being that the child was born for the sake of Naomi. This child was born for the sake of her hopes and dreams for her family, for the continuation of the line. He is serving that purpose. But for a moment, let's imagine ourselves as if we're reading this book for the first time. Because so often we miss the power of great stories when we've read them so many times or we've heard it so many times, we know how it ends and it just loses its power. But consider yourself first time reading Ruth. If you're reading it for the first time, you're struck by the uncertainty of it all. There's a lot of twists and turns in this story. And then you talk about the big plot twist at the end. I mean, this puts M. Night Shyamalan to, to shame. This was long before his movies came out. There's these beautiful twists in it. We're we're guessing, we're breathless. I mean, there was even that time we talked about a few weeks ago where it looked like Boaz was going to the relative who was actually the first in line to be the kinsman redeemer. 
And he asked him, will you do it? Because you get this land. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. He's thinking, yeah, I get some land. All right. He said, oh, and by the way, you also have to take on Naomi and Mary Ruth. And oh, okay, maybe, maybe not. But at first we're thinking, no, Boaz, you can't do it. We're rooting for you. It's got to be Boaz. He's the right person. And then everything changes. And here at the end, we see the beautiful development as the purposes of God come to light. Because Obed plays an important role in the future. This is a reminder to all of us that it says in 2 Corinthians, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't always see what's around the corner, the plot twists, where God can come in. We are a people of faith, not by sight. And yet, which of us does not often mistake God's concern or perceived lack of concern or involvement and mix it up because we don't actually see God working in the present? This leads us to our second truth. God's work is presently active, but not always presently perceived or conceived. I wanted to see how many little things I could throw in there. But how often do we shudder at the supposed silence of God? Have you ever had those moments? God, where are you? I've been asking the same question over and over again. Where are you? You're not answering me. God, are you doing anything? Have you ever said that in prayer? God, do you even care? Have you ever uttered those words? God, do you even care? In our house, there's a scripture verse that comes up a lot. It's Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start it in verse 25. Just let me read it to you. We're not going to put it on the screen. I want to read it to you. Listen. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan of life? That's the one that's quoted quite a bit. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That is a word from God. Did God care for Naomi? Did God care for Ruth? I'm sure there were times that it seemed quite bleak in their story. Ruth, when she's laboring in this field, 
But God was always at work. Because here's the truth. God's time is not our time, and God's ways are not our ways, but God's love is for us. God's time is not our time, and God's ways are not our ways, but God's love is for us. Are you in a season of trouble? Are you in a season when God seems silent or you're waiting for God to do something, to rescue, to turn up, to save you? Are you ready to see light on the horizon or a glimmer of hope? This story reminds all of us that hope is always present, even if not presently perceived. Because our hope is in a God who loves us and is working out his plans for us. Plans for good. No matter how unlikely the outcome may seem, we must turn the page and continue our story. Because God has even better things in store. So we move to our final movement. Unto us a child is given. And we conclude with a list of names that I wanted to see how much I could trip Lee up when she was reading the passage. Didn't you love, Lee, how I gave you no heads up on that? Okay, good. All right, so my plans were thwarted. Maybe like me, you get to all these begats, such and such begats, such and such, and it's just a list. And when you're reading through the Bible, I mean, eyes just glaze over at this point. It's like, oh my gosh, could they pick any weirder names? And why does this matter? Why am I reading this? But there's power in genealogies, and there's a reason that they're listed. And let's not get tripped up in the fact, because people who are critical of the Bible will point out and go, well, that's not a complete genealogy. You're skipping through some stuff. You're leaving out some people. Let's not get tripped up about that. It's true, because we were introduced to salmon, not the fish, the person, who is Boaz's father, and we're told that he was married to Rahab, and she's, she would have been the citizen of Jericho, the one who survived, the one who was a woman of the night, we're so told. And a lot of time would have passed between that and then the genealogy as it matches up with, the first, uh, with chapter 1 of Matthew that we hear about all those genealogies. The completeness of it is not the important part. They're lifting, lifting up main names, people that the people reading this would know. The major significant remains, though, and reminds us that even in the days of Judges, when things seemed to go wrong and it looked as if God's covenant was broken and God's love was gone, that God was continuing to work, even in this time period. Because remember, we talked, Ruth is happening in the time of Judges, with this endless cycle of, we'll follow God, but then no, 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 no. And then a nation will come in and oppress them, and they get further and further and further away from God. But then we reach the end of this genealogy and find that God's story isn't done. Here's the plot twist. Because who is the ancestor of Ruth and Boaz and Obed? Who do we hear at the end? David. Who's David? The great king of Israel. This leads us to our third truth. God's redemptive work redeems all creation. God's redemptive work redeems all creation. Because we know that it doesn't end with David, does it? Who is descended from David when you look at the beginning of Matthew? 
Jesus, all right, church answer time, that's right. Jesus descends. There's the plot twist. The redeemer of the entire world is a product down the line of this relationship. Ruth, this outsider, this Moabite, this foreigner, this unknown person becomes an ancestor of the Savior of the world. Isn't that amazing? Come on, scandal. This is awesome. You look at the list of genealogy and realize that it wasn't perfect. But yet God's work was always working in and through these lives. There's this thread, there's this story tying the Old Testament to the New Testament. Genesis all the way to Revelation. God's love, God's story, God's plan is at work. And it's there to redeem the world. Is there to redeem you. Your children, your children's children. The people we don't like. God's work is there trying to redeem. And that is what the story illustrates to us. Brothers and sisters, let us not forget the power of this story. The power that God's love reaches to the outsider and calls us to do the same. That God calls us to become a part of his plan and his work in this world. You just never know the unlikely ancestors that may come after you. God is at work. Let us go to him in prayer. Almighty God, we do thank you for this story, this simple story that reminds us the power of love and redemption and how you are always at work even when we do not conceive it or perceive it. Lord, we pray that your work would continue in this world and that you would show us how we as followers can participate in that work. Help us to have eyes to see the outsider and the compassion to reach out to them in love with your grace. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. In his name we pray. Amen. We now have the opportunity to come to the